Hey, what's going on? It's your boy Jay Christian. This is Jocks and Nerds United, where we blend the world of the Jock and the Nerd. Brought to you by 265 Media. Alright, so this time around, we are going to talk about leadership and what makes a good leader and what makes a bad leader. Um, we're also going to touch briefly on the evolution of the post game in basketball. And of course, we're going to take it to the deck, get to know each other a little more with some good old random questions. All right, let's go. All right, I'm going to get right to it. All right, I'm going to quickly give a brief description of the different styles of leadership. Uh, that I've read as many as 13. There might even be more, uh, depending on what you read and where you're researching. But I picked out seven that kind of en- encompass, you know, leadership. Um, first one is autocratic style. This kind of style is a leader that usually thinks they're the smartest person in the room. Um, They usually don't take input from any teammates because they have deemed the teammates not even smart enough to even, you know, give input. We have authoritative style. This style maps out the way and sets expectations. Um, They also galvanize the teammates um, and they usually explain their thought process and they don't necessarily give orders. What they do is they allow the team the freedom to choose how they're going to achieve the common goal. Um, then we have pace setting. Pace setting style is a lead by example kind of approach. They usually are driven and they set the bar and the pace um, and expect their team to reach that bar and at that pace. Um, We have democratic style. Uh, This is more of a communicative, a communicating style uh, of leading. They share information with the teammates about their responsibilities and things that uh, affect their responsibilities. Also, they ask teammates uh, a lot of of their input. Um, Then we have coaching style. The coaching style is about potential. The coaching style sees potential in their team and they try to get that potential out of their teammates, their team members. Then we have the affiliative style. Uh, This is a people first kind of a a approach. They uh, support the emotional needs of the team members. This leader uh, looks to really connect with the teammates uh, the team members, uh, and, and, and build on that tight knit relationship. And lastly, we have the laissez-faire, which is a total hands-off approach. You know, it's the, you know, here's what you got to do, get out of my face and go do it. Okay. Now that we got the styles of leadership out of the way, I can explain why I had to do this particular episode on leadership. All right. First of all, especially in sports, um, 
winning equates to great leadership, and that's not the case. Um, and with the NBA, like I said, the NBA playoffs in high gear, WNBA rocking out. You know, I'm noticing that the term leader, or even more so the term great leader, is being tossed around a little too freely. Uh, I also, I had to address the way leadership styles are deemed ineffective because that's not how the last quote winner did it. Um, it drives me crazy when I hear people say how weak or ineffective a person is because they don't lead the way the their predecessor led or the current leader of all leaders led or leads. Uh, winning and great leadership don't necessarily go hand in hand. You know, too many times when the leader is a flat out asshole, it excuses their assholedom. <laughs> you know, winning doesn't make it okay to be a dick to your teammates, man. You know, all in the name of, quote, leadership. You know, that, that drives me crazy. Nobody wants to be on a team like that. Um, all right, I'm going to give you, you know, the, lot, the reasoning behind my logic. All right, so on the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance, there was a part where the great Michael Jordan was talking about his interactions with his teammates as a leader. Uh, he mentioned how he was about winning, and we all know that because he is a ultimate competitor. Sometimes people call him the ultimate competitor. Uh, that particular episode, though, was about Jordan's aggression towards his teammates in practice. Um, and it wasn't pleasant interactions either. You know, his response was, and this is a quote, when people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. And he also says, uh, well, that's you because you've never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. See, now. That's a quote that, you know, it sounds very passionate. You know, I'll get into, you know, what I think in, uh, in a little bit. Then uh, he got emotional. And he said, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. And if you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. And he, you know, stopped the cameras because he was getting emotional. All right. So. I want to say, you know, give this quick disclaimer. I don't know Michael Jordan personally. I'm just speaking on what I've seen, what I've read, and applying that information, you know, with whatever analysis that I'm going to give. You know, you can, it is what it is. You know, I don't know the man personally. I'm just going by what I do know. All right. So I've talked to a lot of people. All right. Many watched that segment and were in awe of his passion towards winning and his teammates. You know, the moment I watched it, Yes, I saw passion, but that was a small part of that show of emotion that I particularly noticed. It was very small, actually. Um, 
as the leader of those Bulls teams, Mike wanted to win. No question about it. It didn't matter that you as his teammate wanted to win just as much and was willing to work just as hard and approach the game with the fire just like he did. If you didn't display that passion and that fire like he did, or as he deemed fit in his eyes, you don't want to win. Which in many cases, especially on the NBA level, wasn't true at all. Guys wanted to win. They're not there to just be around. Guys are trying to win. You don't reach that level and you're not trying to win. And you definitely don't reach that level level if you're not a hard worker. So what I saw was, I saw pain. I saw a man who in that moment was face to face with the loneliness of the method of his leading. When you see those Bulls rosters, um, B.J. Armstrong, Bill Cartwright, Horace Grant, Stacey King, these guys won multiple rings with, with Michael. You know, they were players that were with MJ winning. But winning didn't matter, and many of those guys wanted out. When contract extensions came, or they just didn't want to stay. Why? Because even winning doesn't negate a leader who is an asshole. (laughs) No one wants to be treated that way, man. Even when MJ's teammates joked about how MJ was an asshole and you just, you know, had to live with that. I said that to say MJ at that moment was mentally in an extremely lonely place while talking about it. You know, none of those guys wanted to win more than they wanted their respect. Their respect, not as players, but as men. No grown-ass man will tolerate another grown man who is not his father, and some not even their fathers, challenging them in their goal that they're working hard to, to get to, for but so long, when your ultimate goal is achieved and the guys you, you lead to that goal don't care and still want to leave, I'm telling you, man, that's a lonely feeling that you don't want to feel as a leader. And that's what those tears, in my humble opinion, were really about. Now, me, someone from the outside looking in and him saying that's because You've never won anything. That's a statement that's a statement of a tyrant. Why? Because your way isn't the only effective way to win. Those tears that Michael Jordan had to stop the the cameras so he had to gather himself. Michael Jordan was eye to eye with that alone feeling of winning alone. We can look at a comparable uh, personality and player in Kobe. Kobe was that tyrant leader whose whose mentality was trying to win and my teammates better stay in line or they're out of here. Kobe actually grew out of that. 
when Shaquille O'Neal was there, he was the bigger personality. He was older, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. There was different dynamics, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, while Kobe became one of the leaders on that roster when Shaq was there, um, Shaq was the bona fide leader of that team. Um, and for a few seasons, he, he, Kobe Bryant, was the same MJ style type leader. That's that, if I had to pin any of the leadership styles on Kobe, it would be a combination of pace setter and autocratic. Some of the ones that I explained earlier. The difference in Kobe's situation is he wasn't winning. He had to reevaluate his approach. This is post Shaq now. He had to reevaluate his approach to getting the most out of his teammates. The number eight Kobe wasn't the same leader as the number 24 Kobe. It was amazing to watch. And I really loved watching the um, evolution of Kobe Bryant, man. I've, we could talk about that uh, another time. And he still kept his competitive fire without burning out that fire. Not in himself and not in his teammates. When he changed his approach, he won two championships. Here comes the problem I have, all right? Media, commercial narratives have Michael Jordan placed in a place that he was this ultimate great leader because he was winning. Winning doesn't equate to great leadership. Also, MJ's leadership style isn't the only way to lead. We have to come off that narrative that that MJ style of leadership or that Tom Brady style of leadership, because he was the same way, um, are the only paths to winning. In fact, I'm willing to put on record that while Michael Jordan won, and that's an undeniable fact, that Michael Jordan was a terrible leader. A great leader is all of those types combined that I described earlier. And he or she knows when to apply each style and to whom and to who and who to use it on. Excuse me. Kobe evolved into that well-balanced leader and won two championships. And the late part of his career, you could see the balance of that super competitor and well-balanced leader. After his retirement, um, you could see his growth even more. It was awesome to watch. You know, this it, it's so sad what happened because watching him was really a, a, a great thing for me personally. You know, as great as MJ was and as fundamentally sound as he was, young guys were not contacting Michael Jordan in the offseason to work out and learn from him. But Kobe, on the other hand, not only taught, he directly mentored guys. He was welcoming and willing to be a, a, a leader who strengthens weaknesses as opposed to exposing them. 
So when you have two guys like that, and you see one who grew to realize, no, I can't just, you know, berate these guys to get the best out of them or fight them in practice and then say, well, this is how it is. This is how I want to do it. It's not, that's not cool. That's not, you don't respect that person. You respect your goal. A leader respects every teammate in their role and as men or as women or as adults. A, nobody, 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 I can't stress that wants to, can, I can't stress that anymore, wants to be on a team where every time you go to practice, the guy who's now the, the, the leader of your team, when you push hard, harder than he, you think he should, or you're not pushing as hard as he, he, or you're not pushing as hard as you think he or she, uh, as he or she may think you should, then all of a sudden it's a problem and you got to go be nose to nose with them. Nah, man. Yo, I want this just as much as you do. And if you don't like that, I can leave, man. I don't got to stay here. I'm about winning and, you know, and on that level, it's like, I'm, I'm going to go get my check too. And you're not going to ruin my check because I'm going to punch you in your face every time you come at me. And naturally, if somebody who's as great as Michael Jordan uh, was and you get a, a role player, guess who's going to go? The role player. And then it's going to seem like, oh, this person is, doesn't really want to follow. Nah, man, I just don't like uh, uh, another grown man challenging what, what I'm trying to do. And I want it just as much as he does. A true leader understands that. And they push each individual person differently, but at the same time, they, they collectively take the team and lead it to the, to the goal. Again, the fact that young guys were calling Kobe Bryant, like, yo, man, can I work out? Kobe's like, yeah, man, come on. I'll teach you, teach you what I know. Ain't nobody doing that with Michael Jordan because he wasn't that kind of leader. He wasn't a welcoming kind of a leader. So that's my take on leadership. Winning doesn't mean that you're a great leader. When you stop doing what you're doing and you're older, like for in, in the uh, case of Kobe and Michael, when you're playing, you win. You do what you do, you retire. When guys are still looking at you, not as like many players who say, you know, I looked up to Michael Jordan when I was watching him. A lot of players now are saying, I looked up to Kobe while I was learning from him directly. That's a great leader. And what makes Kobe Bryant, in my opinion, even more special is that he evolved to that. So that's the definition of a great leader. Just because you win doesn't mean that you're a good leader. That just means you won. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that winning, it's, it's, if you do win, then it doesn't mean, it's, it's not that cut and dry. Sometimes when you win, you are a great leader. 
but it's not always hand in hand. Winning isn't evidence of great leadership all the time. Good balance and mentorship and understanding dynamics of people and not just the goal is the sign of a good leader. All right, I'm gonna leave that at that. And we're gonna go on to the next part of this conversation. And we're gonna talk about the, uh, we're gonna switch, 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 switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about the evolution of the post game of basketball. Cause I like playing in the paint. So let's do it. All right. So, you know, changing, changing the color a little bit. We're just gonna talk about the post game now. I love the game of basketball. I watch it. I play it. You know, at least the best I can. I'm getting old now. <laughs> but uh, it's the post game. I'm not gonna call it a lost art, but the old way of the post game is almost a lost art. What I mean is the great Hakeem Olajuwon, he innovated the post game so much that it is, it has become, it has evolved in something. It's not a bad thing. It's evolving to something different. Now, when I was coming up, I was taught that your post game is back to the basket. You work on your footwork from when you have your back to the basket, you bump, you, you, you tussle, and you work your way to the basket and, you know, figure out a way to get the ball in the hoop. Now, when you faced up, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily considered a Post up. It was, I faced up and I was quicker, so I went by that person. You know, even if you eventually turn your back to the basket, you know, and that's because the dream was so quick. He innovated that style. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, who's who had good, good, great footwork, don't get me wrong, he was more of an old style kind of a a brute, true post player. Back to the basket, I'm going down. I'm either turning and dunking on you, I'm turning and shooting a hook shot. Uh, I'm not facing up and then doing a spin move and a whole bunch of counter moves. Either you're going to stop me or you're not. That's the post game that I grew up on. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into too, too much details, but I really wanted to talk about that because when I watch guys like, Anthony Davis, who's a beast. Uh, Joel Embiid, who's a beast. These guys, they face up. They call for the ball on the block with their back to the basket. But when they get it, they face up. But when you think about it, a guard who gets the ball at the three-point line, what is he doing? He's facing up. It's the same kind of a principle. So in my head, like, yeah, it's the footwork is a little bit different and things like that, but that's not necessarily the 
essence of the post game. Post game is dirty. Post posting up on basketball is it's a dirty man's game. And if you ain't trying to get dirty on defense and on offense, then you ain't posting up. You're facing up and you're trying to be quick and finesse your way around so you, you, you can avoid that, that dirt, that grit. You know, you get a guys like, like I said, the example that I used was Embiid and, and AD. And when you watch them play, look, those guys are beasts. Talented. Most, they can do a lot of different things. But when you watch them and they get the ball on the block, most of the time they're facing up. And they don't want any parts of that dirt and that grit. Now there's moments where you can see they, they get into it and it's like, I right, shoot, he just bullied his way to the basket. But that's, that's what I was, that's the, the post game I grew up on. That's what it was. I get the ball. I work my way as far to the bas- as close to the basket as I possibly can. And then my footwork comes into play, whether I spin left, whether I spin right, or, or fade away or hook shot or whatever. I don't face up, figure you out, counter move, counter move, and make that move. That's what the great Hakeem Olajuwon has evolved the post game into. And again, this is not a bad thing. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just, I just had to touch on it because it's, it's different. You know, facing up when LeBron James played the Dallas Mavericks and they lost that season. I forget what year that was. I remember yelling at the television because this big man kept getting the ball on the block and facing up. Don't face up. Post that man up. Put your back to the basket and you just walk your way backwards to the basket of this smaller person who can't outpower you. And then you impose your will. The skill that the face up requires at that particular time, LeBron James didn't have. And the truth is he he developed it later, uh, but he didn't need it at that point. Be a bully. Be, be the Charles Barkley. Be the Shaq. Posting up has evolved into something more than just a, a gritty kind of a thing. And, you know, it's, it's evolving with the game of basketball. You know, that's, that's what the game of basketball has become. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it's not physical, but that, that, that true dirt and grit is kind of taken out a little bit, you know, with the flagrant ones and, and the different the new rules and the fouling, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the, the push for more scoring. Um, but that's the evolution of the post game. It has gone from strictly give me the ball. I'm going to work my way and get dirty in these trenches, a.k.a. the paint, to I can get the ball and face up and see where my opponent is leaning and spin off him and, and either get a dunk or a layup or it's, it's different. And I want more guys like a Zion who, who actually does the face-up game 
but he's still young, so he has a lot to work on his footwork and stuff like that. But he's still dirty. I want more. I want the post game to be be that more, you know. Because the truth of the matter is, even with the rules now, I don't care what nobody say. You bigger, you stronger, you can do whatever you want on that block. Outside of just flat out, you know, running guys over, which is an offensive foul, um, you can do that. I don't, it doesn't matter how the rules change. So I I I, I love the the face up and the footwork. It's it's great. It's great to watch. I remember watching Akeem Olajuwon do it. It was amazing. But I want to see, this is just a personal opinion. That's why I had to touch on it. My podcast, so I'm doing that. <laughs> uh, I want to see that grit. Like, ah, ah, stop me if you want to. And if you can't, you better find a way to. So that's the evolution of the post game. Let's switch it up. All right, so now let's take it to the deck. Let's get to it. Let's get to know each other. See what see what the deck holds for us. All right. Oh man. So this one is give me name something I quit and why. Ooh. Ooh. All right. I'm a sports head and I I, I love being athletic. And things like that. You know, I love playing sports. Just tell me the rules. You know, when I was, you know, younger and in my prime, you know, just tell me the rules and I'll, I'll be a beast. Um, but I never really quit. There was a position, though, in baseball that I definitely tried and quit. Damn, almost, almost immediately. And that was catcher. Um, I loved pitching and anything else, but and I played almost every position. And but catcher, just couldn't do it. Uh, I was no, I wasn't afraid of the ball or anything like that. It was that bad. <laughs> I remember the first time I was like, you know, I could catch. Because my brother, he loved catching. Shout out to my brother, Justin. Love you, man. Uh, I'm like, yo, I could catch because I could throw. You know, I was bigger and stronger than a lot of guys. So I remember my coach was like, yo, you want to catch? I said, yeah, man, I could catch. I put on the gear and the pitcher was warming up. Bang, bang, you know, warming up, throwing it back, warming up, throwing it back. And, you know. You know, and they yell, coming down. That's when the catcher, you know, he's warming up and he throws the ball to second base. You know, they're like, coming down. I threw the ball to second base on my knees. Everybody, oh. First batter comes up. And, um, you know, crouch down, give the signal. Pitcher throws that ball. And the batter swung. I caught the ball. The bat didn't hit me. It may not have even been close. But all I know is that he swung it and it seemed close. Too close. Oh. Now, now this is practice. Coach is standing behind me, so I moved back. Coach is like, whoa, 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 what you doing, Cunningham? Move up. I maybe moved up a quarter of an inch. 
Next pitch comes. Dink. Foul ball. I was like, all right, coach. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm out. You know, put me back in center field. Put me back on third base. Just not here. So the reason why I quit, because of that bat. <laughs> I couldn't do it, man. So that's something if you want to say I quit. That's, that's why I quit. Uh, nah, I'm good. That bat was just a little too close for my nerves. You know, I, I'd rather deal with the ball that I could see, you know, come in. And, and no matter how fast it is, that bat is right there. Nah, nope. So that was... That's something I stopped doing, you know, and that was why. So, you know, Jay Kristen stopped catching because of that bat. <laughs> All right, y'all. All right, so let's wrap it up. Uh, we talked about, you know, how I felt about leadership, different styles of leadership, and how, you know, one can be effective and not. Uh, we talked about the evolution of the post game in basketball, and we talked about you know why I quit being a catcher when I was playing baseball. Uh, so it's this has been a good one, fun episode. Jackson Nerds United, brought to you by Two Sixty Five Media. It's your boy Jay Kristen. Hit that follow button. Whenever you on whatever podcast uh, media outlets you listen to, Apple Podcasts, Captivate, and, you know, support the 265 Media Network. You got some great content. All right. So peace out. Till next time. I'm out. <laughs>